Well, good morning again, everyone. Hello, hello. My name is Stephanie. I'm one of the pastors here. I see a few new faces. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Um, today, I want to let you know that my fiance and I, JD, he's sitting over there. Um, we want to let you know it's a very special time right now. And that time is the time that you are SVP for our wedding. So if you haven't yet, you need to. And if you're like, I didn't know I was invited to that wedding, just go to jdandsteph.com because we did not do fancy invitations because internet. So jdandsteph.com, right, babe? So jdandsteph.com. It's okay if you don't want to come. We just need to know if you are coming because we're going to order a lot of pizza. That's what we're serving, pizza and tacos. So we need to know how much pizza and tacos, so you need to let us know. You're all invited if you want to come. Just let us know, jdandsteph.com. It's also going to be on Facebook Live. We're on Facebook Live right now, so the people who are on there can watch on the Facebook Live because internet. So it's good. It's a special time. It's a special time when we need you to RSVP. Thank you. All right, let's pray before we look into God's word together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your promise of your presence here with us. That you're not a God who is distant and far away, but that you are a with us God. You are Emmanuel. And that you promise to be with us no matter what we experience in life. And God, we have come before you many times on behalf of this school in which we're in right now, just asking and pleading with you that you would be present in this school and that your presence would make a difference for these kids. God, we have a heart that breaks for those who... Uh, are feeling needs, need provision, are feeling anxious. God, we know that there's students that are not coming to school who are immigrants, who are feeling nervous about coming here. And God, we just pray for your peace in their hearts. We pray that you would use the teachers and the faculty and the staff to be able to create a safe place in this school for these kids so that they can learn and so that they can grow and so that they can be all that you created them to be. And so God, we ask on their behalf that you would be present and you would make a difference here. And we pray that you would speak to us this morning from your word, that you would uh, change us, that you would continuously be forming us to be people who are more and more like you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today is the second week in a conversation called Success and Security. Success and Security, we've got this cool Wall Street design up here. And uh, the conversation is very clear. In fact, we'll put a slide up here. This is what we want to talk about this month. This is what we're talking about in success and security conversation. Many of us want to be successful. We want to feel secure, yet we often find ourselves struggling to feel like we have achieved success or attained security. Jesus consistently redefined success and security by inviting people to question what matters most in their lives. And in this conversation, we're going to look at ways that Jesus redefines success and security. So that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be talking about how Jesus redefines success and security. We have these four mission priorities that we're focusing on this year. And this month, the, the main focus is the one specific mission priority, which is, as JD mentioned earlier in the announcements about this missional community, is God at work or uh, faith and work integration, steward, being having good vocational stewardship. We think about how success and security is so wrapped up in, in that. And that's what we're talking about today. So as I was preparing for today, I recognized, you know, there is many times when whatever the subject of the day is, we can come out here and have a microphone and kind of share all of our learnings and how things are going for us. And I recognize as we were thinking about this conversation, there have been years in my life or seasons in my life maybe where I could come up here and talk about 
the concepts of success and security and be able to say just without wavering, we need to trust Jesus and this is what it's about and success and security is found in who God is and some of the things that I am going to say today. However, I would have been coming from a different place because when I think about this last year, for me in my life personally, it was not one of those years where it would be easy for me to come up here and say that life isn't just about the things that you need to make you feel secure. 2016 and so far 2017 has not been a year for me where uh, a sense of security has been easy. In fact, I would say that this last maybe 12 to 16 months, the, this, this, these concepts in my life, success and security, have been challenged more than perhaps it ever has in my life. And I'm assuming that I'm not the only person that feels this way. As I look out at all of you, I know a lot of your stories. And when you see this Wall Street design, you have this sense of like this pit in your stomach. Um, and that's how I feel right now in my own life. I think nearly all of us have had some sense of security shaken by the political and cultural events of this last year in our country. Um, I know I have. And I, I, I feel that this fear and anxiety, we've talked about that a little this last year. How do we handle that? I recognize that some of my friends who are uh, the minority in some way are experiencing a sense of insecurity like something that I cannot even begin to comprehend. And I feel that for them too though, like in some ways, I, I feel this sense of fear and anxiety that's coming up. And, and I recognize that some people are so afraid and so insecure, you know, insecure, meaning they're feeling a sense of no security in their life for extremely tangible reasons. But the reality is, is that even though I can't understand that personally, so many of us are feeling different levels of that having to do with our circumstances. And we can't compare them in, in a way necessarily, but we do have to say and acknowledge when that fear and those insecurities are coming up in us. I know for me, it's been easy to say this last year, oh, but it's, it's so much worse for other people. And that's actually kept me from being honest about some of the fears and insecurities and things that have been rising up in me in this last year because those are real. And I think we have to be honest about those. And we have to acknowledge that for various reasons, all of us at some point in another probably have a sense of feeling a need for security that you don't have. And so when I think about that in my life, um, I was talking to Nick earlier and he said, you know, you don't come across like somebody who would be insecure or have a, a, a struggle with security. And I've noticed that actually this last year. And so in premarital counseling, JD and I have learned a, a rating system where uh, I might be like a three, like not that stressed, but I might be like a seven, like really stressed, but it looks the same, right? Do other people have this problem? Anybody think that their partner has that problem and you're like, well, you didn't seem that stressed. And so we've been working on it. So now JD can be like, can you tell me what number you're at? And I'm like, I'm at a seven right now. Really stressed. And I just, I mean, that's a fair thing to bring up. Some of us wear our stress on our sleeve and everybody knows, but there's pros and cons to both personalities, isn't there? And I would suggest that in my own life, the fact that I can cover that up, not only sometimes to other people, but to myself has not been helpful in my life. And so acknowledging that there are these things I wrestle with about success and things I wrestle with about security that have shaken me, I think is really important. So I, I'm just going to have a getting real with Pastor Steph moment. Is that okay? Can I tell you guys about a little bit about this last year for me? And this is nothing shocking. It's just my life. It's just real. So the beginning of this last year, I actually had a huge privilege. And that was that my mom and I, because of my mom's generosity, we were able to invest in this new house and this new property. And it, it was a fixer-upper. And it's a huge privilege to be able to do that. 
But let me just say that when you get into a remodel and it costs double than what you planned and double than what you saved, all of a sudden you're not wanting that privilege so much anymore. And so we began to feel this stress. And then there was some really unexpected repairs, like things were completely broken. We didn't know. We had to repair them. And then I uh, had a really, I'm going to put it this way, interesting experience with Airbnb, okay? Just had a really weird Airbnb experience. That's another sermon, and I will tell you if you want to hear it. But that definitely was something that shook my sense of security, and I started to feel that this reality was starting to happen. And in the meantime, we got this guy right here who comes into my life at the beginning of last year. And, you know, obviously I think he's amazing and he's creative and he's a freelance filmmaker. And I was like, that is so awesome. That's amazing. Until I found out that freelance filmmakers have a really awesome emotional roller coaster that comes with their life and vocation, which is having a ton of work and getting paid for that work sometimes. And then not so much work the next month. And then again, and then we never know. And at first that sounded so interesting. And then it was like, whoa, how do you plan? Do we plan? Is there any planning? Do we have planning opportunities? And no, you don't. You can't. And I still find it very attractive. However, this has been his whole life. And I'm going like, what? Welcome to my whole life now. And it will never be boring. But it will not also feel secure. And so that's just this reality. So anyway, not to mention, I'm in my, my mid-30s. I haven't been saving to buy people pizza at a wedding right? My single friends in their 30s, you have bills to pay. You're not saving for a hypothetical wedding that may or may not happen, okay? So we're having this financial security questions. That's why we're having pizza, and it's going to be awesome, really, really good pizza, just not very expensive. Finally, finally, interesting thing that happened in my life, and some of you know about this. A lot of you do. Uh, I don't know if you have looked around here, but Mill City Church is growing a lot, we're growing especially with little ones, which are adorable and wonderful, and we're growing in so many ways, almost every way that you could measure growth. And one of the ways we've also been growing in growth is by the generosity of all of you who have financially contributed to the mission of this church. However, in a lot of ways, the church in so many ways is growing even faster than the budget can grow. And so we've shared that with you all. And so we had to make some different decisions, and um, overall, we feel great about the decisions and how we did that. But Pastor Michael and myself, as both lead pastors, made the decision over the last couple of years to go to halftime in our role. So we're both working 20 hours a week. And it just felt like exactly what was right for Mill City right now, at least. And so that meant for me, I got to find another job. And so there's these questions that come up, right? It shakes your security when you realize what, what do we do here? And when it comes to church leadership and the books that people write about church leadership, Man, that's not exactly, you know, the five ways to be successful in a church, taking your hours down, right? That's just not. And so you're questioning, what does success mean? What does this mean? And so anyway, I am very grateful to be stepping into a, a halftime job at Bethel Seminary. Um, but man, if you have been in a new job recently, I know a lot of you have, doesn't that just bring up to the surface all your insecurities and maybe I don't really know how to do this and I'm not really sure and how do I juggle these things? Do I really have what it takes? All these questions of success and security were just sneaking up on me this whole year. Not to mention, how do we figure out how to merge the lives of two very re relatively stubborn adults? Plenty of things, right? So, I recognize that none of this is the end of the world by any stretch, and I've been the recipient of a ton of generosity in this last year, which is also something awesome that happens often when you feel that you need that security in your life. However, I 
recognize that some of you have had even worse circumstances and difficult stories. I hear those stories from you. And I want to tell you all of this because I hear you and I see the situations you're in. And I also want to tell you because of the aforementioned thing where I have to give you a number of my stress and you might not see it. Because sometimes people get up here with microphones and they're kind of like, hey, let me tell you all how not to feel this way because I got it figured out. And I just want you to know I don't. I don't have that figured out. And I want you to know that it's not ever our hope to come up here like some wise sage who's got it all figured out and let you all know how you need to figure it out. Because we're all kind of a mess. And we're just trying to get through each day. And there's ways we can do that with more empowerment from God. And there's ways that we can do that without that. And we're talking together about how we do that with God's empowerment in our lives. And so when I look back over this last year, I think about all those things. And I, and I feel that I'm not alone, right? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but did anybody else have some unexpected financial things happen this year? Anyone willing? Okay, right, all right. Did anybody else have a season where they weren't sure if they had enough work? Anyone? Okay, cool, not just me. And then is anyone else started a new job and all their insecurities came flying out of their ears? Okay, all right, so anybody else? Oh, I know some people have this one. Tried to figure out how to merge your life with another human and you recognize all your successful and security, all that jazz is getting shaken. People marry people, tell me that happens. It's just me and JD? Okay, the married people are like, it was fine for us. It was no big deal. It was fine. We're doing fine. It's not easy. It shakes these things in your life. So when I look back over this last year, here's what I noticed. There were weeks, days, days, maybe weeks, when I felt a deep sense of security that I knew was coming from God. There were days or weeks when I felt like I just needed to do each day to the best of my ability and that I knew, I knew my security wasn't in whether or not the, the bills were gonna get paid and all that stuff. I knew it. And then there were days where I was a mess, like where I was definitely a seven, even if it didn't look like it, or an eight and a half. And there were some really distinct differences between these two experiences. And as I looked back over this year, I think I know what the difference was in a week where I was just experiencing God's security that God gave me and being just an insecure mess, at least on the inside. And I'm going to tell you what I think that was in my life. And I think Jesus outlines it perfectly in the story that's found in Matthew 7. So if you have a Bible, we're going to turn to Matthew 7. And I'm going to, we'll have it up on the screen if you don't. Um, but let me just um, set the stage for what Jesus is saying here. So this is a story that is right at the end, the last words that Jesus speaks, at the end of probably the most famous um, teachings that he ever gave called the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you have heard of the Sermon on the Mount. And so these are the, this is the last thing, I'm about to read the last thing that Jesus says at the very end of this Sermon on the Mount. It takes a few chapters. Uh, Jesus had gone out and he was healing people. They were rushing at him, crowds of people. And he was healing them and he was setting them free and he was uh, doing all this ministry. And he pulls away with his disciples, the people who had been following him the closest, these men and women who were really devoted to his mission. And he pulls them aside to up on the side of a mountain. Now, um, similar to Minnesota, when we use the word mountain, there's no mountains here. So this was not a mountain. It was a big hill. And so uh, th this is what was happening. So they didn't, it's not like they went on a, like a long hike up a mountain. Like they just went up on the side of a hill. But you'll see later why it's important that they call it the Sermon on the Mount. And so he began to teach to these people who he was growing in an intimate relationship with, who he cared for so deeply, who cared for him and were the first people who had committed to his mission, the people who were so close to his heart. And uh, N.T. Wright, a theologian, he describes the Sermon on the Mount as very simply instructions to the disciples for their mission. 
instructions to the disciples for their mission. And that seems applicable to us. Many of us would say we want to be disciples of Jesus who are on mission. And so the Sermon on the Mount, if you haven't read it, has a lot there for us in order to be able to live that mission out fully. Jesus is saying a lot of things. He's talking about how do we treat each other? How do we live as those who follow him in this world? Who are the people who are really blessed? Hint, it's not who you expect. He's asking questions like, how do we engage with our enemies? How do we care for the poor? And Jesus is offering teaching about all of these things. And so you can see how these are pressing questions that somebody who is uh, doing life on mission might have. But after all of these things that Jesus talks about, after two chapters worth in the way we, we put it in our modern Bibles, he ends with these words that some of you might know and might be familiar to you, and that's Matthew 7, 24 through 29. We'll have it up here on the screen. So he says, therefore, which means because of everything I just said for the last two chapters, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who has authority, not as their teachers of the law. So when I think about this, these songs, I, I, or this, this, I think of songs. Does anybody else think of any songs when they hear this passage? It might be new to some of you, but a few people think of some songs. I, this was one of the most sung about songs, I feel like, or sung about passages growing up. Um, I remember these, these words that, they that we would sing all the time when we were together with all the adults, and it was everybody had to get their deepest voice, and they would sing, On Christ the solid rock I stand, and everyone's kind of standing up a little bit straighter. Anybody know that song? Ashish vetoed it for this morning. I don't know. He also vetoed me singing. So weird. I don't know. Um, and then, I, my, you know, the one that I, is really ingrained in my memory is the little, the kid song that you sing. So maybe some of you sang the, sang the song where it's like, the wise man built his house upon the rock, house upon the rock, something like that, right? And, and you do motions. Wise man built his house upon the rock. And then think about all of the things you feel anxious about right now. The foolish man built his house upon the sand, house upon the sand, house upon, and the rain came tumbling down, and the rain, and the flood came up, and the rain came down, and your house went crash. Are you feeling secure? You feeling? It's good. I don't know what they were going for with that song. Like, what were we supposed to feel in that time? I don't know. Now, this is a little bit of a trigger for me. I'm just going to admit this right now. This has nothing to do with the sermon. It's a trigger for me to sing about songs built on sand, okay? About houses built on sand. I was getting to know my new neighbors at this new house, aforementioned house, Penny and Patty, they're sisters, and there's a third one that has a name with a P too. It's awful. Anyway, I'm getting to know my neighbors, and they come out, and they say, you know, you know something interesting about your house? I said, sure, tell me. And they said, well, when my parent, when our parents bought this house, you know, back in 1945, your house wasn't there. There was a little pond, and then, one day, they decided to fill the pond in with sand. And all of a sudden, there were two more houses right next to our house. So if you notice your house is sinking, that's why. And I was like, thank you, Penny, Patty. I'm not sure which one you are, but thank you for that. 
Um, so the houses don't get, don't freak out. It's not like sinking, but it is like moving down slowly because somebody built my house upon the sand. You know, and I didn't know that before we bought it. So the good news about that for me is that Jesus is not talking about physical houses in this story. And that's actually important to recognize. If you were a disciple in this time, if you were the people who were coming away with Jesus on the side of the, the big hill that they called a mountain, what would you be thinking of when you heard Jesus say these words? Because remember, they're in a very different cultural context than we are. So what would they be experiencing in this time? First of all, when they come up on the side of a mountain, uh, this is mir a mirror of the Old Testament story where Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. And then he comes back down with these words from God. And God is very far away from all the people. He's way up on a mountain. You can't come, just me, the big guy. And I'm going to come back with these words. Notice the difference between Jesus inviting them to come with him. He's God now in the flesh, not far away and untouchable. And he's inviting them to come and to hear from him and his heart. And that's what makes the Sermon on the Mount in my mind so profound. And the person who wrote this story, Matthew, he wants you to, to read this story and think, man, this guy, Jesus, he is like Moses, but better. He's not somebody who has to go get words from God and bring it to you. He is God. And he's inviting you up to come with and to listen from his heart, straight from his heart to yours. Jesus is like Moses, but better. So that would have been very obvious to them because they knew that story by heart. Now, what else would they have heard? When, when Jesus started talking about building your house on a rock, we all start, th I start thinking about how I got problems over on Randolph Street because my house is built on sand. That's not what they would have thought about. They immediately would have thought about the fact that as Jesus was speaking, about 100 miles away in Jerusalem, there was a rebuilding going on of the temple, the place where people had for many years believed that God's presence was, and then it had been destroyed, and it was being rebuilt. And there was a lot of bragging going on about how solid the foundation of this new spot was, and the, the, it was built on rock. So when Jesus says, like a wise man who built their house upon a rock, they would have immediately thought about how this was going on and everybody was talking about it. And they also would have immediately thought about how Jesus has already said, and will continue to say, that temple that they're building, it's not going to stand. It's going to fall down. And you can imagine the people bragging about how firm the foundation was did not like that he was saying that. So sometimes we don't see why the religious leaders were so upset at Jesus, but there's a reason. Because he's knocking their big project, their big build, the thing that they've been doing. And he's just saying, listen, I'm not telling you that that's going to fall to hurt you. I'm telling you that because I am the new reality of God's presence. It's not that the building's bad, but it's not necessary for you to encounter the living God anymore. Jesus is saying to these disciples that he is, that building is temporary. It's going to fall, but he is the resurrection. He is the life. His life, his ministry, his conquering of death is the solid rock on which we should build our lives. This is a new thing. You used to build your life on religiosity and how to do things right and wrong and all these things, and he's offering something new. Jesus is saying, I am going to build, not a physical structure, but a community of people, a community of people who love me and who want to follow me and who listen to my words and live them out, who live out the works and the wonders and the ways of Jesus, just like me, and that's why I'm here with you, to show you what that's going to look like. And Matthew is hoping, as he writes this story that we're now reading today, thousands of years later, 
Matthew is saying, if we build our lives on Jesus' teaching, we will be a part of a house that lasts forever. If we build our lives on Jesus' teaching, we will be a, a house, and what they mean here, a family, a community that will not fall. Everything else can fall. But if you join in this thing that Jesus is saying he is building around him, he's doing it, you get to join, then that is completely different. And I think when we were growing up and I was hearing this song, um, what I noticed in the song, what stuck out to me besides the overdone hand motions, uh, was the word wisdom, the wise man, wise and foolish, and what does that mean? And I think wisdom is really important. Um, and when you think about wisdom, when I think about wisdom in the world, I think it's wise to make sound investments. It's wise to plan for your future. It would be wise to find out if your house is built on sand. I mean, hypothetically. It would be wise to do things that plan, etc. right? Stuff like that. But I want to point out that even though wisdom is something that's celebrated in Scripture, Jesus is saying something a little bit different here, actually. Notice in verse 24, I'll read it to you again. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. He's actually wanting, I think, for us to focus on the very clear action that he's inviting us into. Hear the words, put them into practice. That is what it looks like to be wise in the standards that Jesus is putting forth. Because actually, when you look at the story um, and, and what Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount all the way up to that point, the therefore is saying all the things I've said, it doesn't actually look like the wisdom of the world. It doesn't look like what could be considered wise by most standards. Things like rejoice and be glad when people insult you and say all of evil against you because I will affirm you. Things like if somebody hurts you, forgive them. Love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Care for the poor and needy, but don't brag about it. Pray with authority, knowing that the God of the universe hears you. That would have sounded crazy to these people. When you step into spiritual discipline of fasting, I will honor you and draw close to you. Don't give your heart to money and earthly possessions. They are all temporary. Give your heart to me. Don't worry about anything. Trust me to provide. Worrying won't change your circumstances. And then Jesus communicates in a few different ways. You don't have to strive harder and harder for what you need. Instead, you need to trust more. And frankly, I don't think those things sound like some of the wisdom of the world and what it looks like to find security in this world. The rock, like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock, the rock is not smart financial decisions in this story. The rock is not picking the right job and the right career and not the wrong one. The rock is not having a nice, like, nice nest egg hidden somewhere. The rock in this story is not early retirement. The rock is not being able to trust the government or trust the banks or trust investments or any of these things. That's not what Jesus in this space is talking about. The rock is what is under your feet if you step into what Jesus has said. The rock is what it means to put Jesus' words into practice. Security, true God-given security takes practice. Security takes practice. A life of security takes practice. When I said that there were weeks that felt like I had a sense of security that came from God and weeks that just were not just a mess, I got lockjaw, you guys. That's a problem because I pretty much get paid to talk. And my jaw was like stuck because of stress, all right? Anybody else with the lockjaw? Okay, fine, fine, just me and the lockjaw. You know you have stress responses. We can share them later. Mine was lockjaw. It was a mess. But then there were these weeks where I knew I felt this sense 
of something so much more than the security that this world clearly does not offer. And what was happening in those times? What was the big difference between a secure week and an insecure week? The difference came from whether or not I was putting Jesus' words into practice or not. Jesus invites us to live out his words, and he doesn't invite us to do that to earn his love or to be approved of. He invites us to do that because he loves us. Because he says, listen, you are sons and daughters of God. You are heirs to the kingdom of God, which is bigger and more transcendent than any of these little kingdoms that are going to fall. And God loves us so much and Jesus cared so deeply that he invites us to join that. And to join that, you don't just think about it in your head, you do something. You step into the new reality. You step into what Jesus has said. Security takes practice. When I felt secure, the weeks that I felt secure, I can look back now and I can see that I was stepping into these practices. I gave to people who were in need, even if I wasn't sure I had enough. When I forgave people, even when they didn't ask me for forgiveness. When I prayed for those who at the time seemed like they could be enemies of mine. Some of those enemies are now friends. When I lived out spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and meditating on scripture, man, did I not worry as much. When I held the possessions that I had, even my sinking house, with open hands, recognizing that it's not mine. Everything that we have is from God's. We're just holding on to it for a while, trying to be good stewards of it. When I took my worries to God in prayer and shared that with other people in my life and gave them whatever number I was at so that they could help me and pray with me, God gave me peace and helped me not to worry. When I was actually doing these things, there was a sense of security in my life. When I focused on the wisdom of the world and what it meant to be successful and secure in the world, I could be an anxious mess on the inside and sometimes on the outside and some people had to experience that and it wasn't pretty. And the reality is, is that we live in a world where we are not promised success and security. Jesus was trying to say, that big fancy palace you are building for God is not even gonna stand. I'm right here. And how often is Jesus inviting us to see the same thing? There isn't safety and security and success in this world. So why, when we live out the words of Jesus, does this bring security in our life? Put, the, put that quote up on the screen. What happens when we put Jesus' words into practice? Why does this help? I would say because if we are living out the words of Jesus, we will connect with the heart of Jesus, and connection with the heart of Jesus brings security in an insecure world. If we're living out the words of Jesus, if we're stepping into the new reality that Jesus invites us into, we will connect with the heart of Jesus. And when we are connected to the heart of Jesus, that brings a sense of security in a very truthfully and insecure world. When we live out these words, we grow in our relationship with God in this way where our hearts are starting to be burdened for what breaks God's heart, not with just the things that are right in front of our face. When we draw close to God's heart, we're able to receive God's love more fully. And when you receive more of God's love, oh my goodness, all of a sudden you have more for other people. When we draw close to the heart of Jesus and we start to live out these words, we grow in this relationship with him and we recognize that we have a constant reminder in our lives of our value and our worth and it's not what everyone else thinks about us. Our identity becomes more and more secure. We'll recognize that we have hope 
in a world that is so insecure and shaky that someday that God has so much more in store that Jesus says, I'm going to come. I'm going to make all things new. We have this future hope and this future reality. If we are willing to build our house, our lives, our communities, our families, our church on the solid rock, then we have to take Jesus' words seriously enough to put them into practice. So I'm going to give you a really simple invitation today, and that is just to think of just one practice, maybe two, that you could do this week based on Jesus' words. We've got a slide with some ideas, okay? I'm going to give you just a minute of silence. I want you to think about, maybe you're doing some of these things. Can you put that next, the slide up there with the list? Um, and you can come up with anything in your mind that comes from anything you've heard Jesus say. It could be something up here. It could be anything else. Maybe you're doing some of these things. Pick another one. And my invitation to you is that if you put that into practice this week, there will be ways in which God will show you what security in God's presence looks like compared to the security or insecurity of the world. So get out your phone or a pen or something. Just write down one practice you're going to try this week. I know it seems simple, but this is just the one thing that I'm going to invite you to do. So I'll give you just a minute to, to think about it. Write it down. I just encourage you to share with one other person what you picked. And if you're feeling at a loss, like none of these things seem like they're doable right this moment or something, like let us know. We've got ideas. I'll invite the band to come back up, wherever you folks are. Um, and um, I just want to say, I recognize that, that that is really simple, but it is really hard to do. The things that Jesus says are relatively clear. <laughs> they're just hard to do. It doesn't break your brain. <laughs> It's just difficult to put it into action. It's difficult to step into those things, and we can't do it by ourselves. We need each other. And when we do these things, even if they're simple, even if it feels like, oh, that's not that big of a deal, or I, I only have so much to offer, I've only got so much more time, we can come up with excuses forever. But when we begin to step into some of these things, we recognize that Jesus said these things not to shame us or to make us feel inadequate, but because he loves us and is inviting us into a life that Jesus says is full, a fullness of life. Not an easy life, not a secure life, not always a successful life, but a life that is full. When we do this, when we draw close to the heart of Jesus by living into the Jesus way of life, it's there that we find assurance. Assurance in our lives that Jesus has done everything necessary for us to have hope beyond the trials of this world beyond the trials of this life. Jesus conquered death, which means that there is strength in this life now to overcome everything we face because God promises to be with us. Jesus did, did away with the separation between us and God so that we can be with God. And when we choose to follow Jesus as our leader, as our savior, we have access to that strength to get through whatever we experience. But we know then too that the storms and the insecurities of our life, those are real. They're going to happen. But we stand on this solid rock, Jesus' life, his way, and say 
There is a future that no matter what happens, God is going to make a day when there is no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain, no more storms, and no more insecurity. That is a future hope that we have. And there is also a promise that no minute, no one second from now until then, if you want God with you, will God leave you alone? Not for one second. God will be with you. You can be secure in the love of Jesus. No matter what has been done to you, no matter what you've done, if you come back to him and you say, I can't do this without you, God will be there for you because of what Jesus did. We can have assurance if Jesus is our leader and our savior that brokenness is not the end of the story. And Jesus wanted his followers to believe that and to know that brokenness wasn't the end of the story. And so um, we're going to celebrate communion. And Jesus had brought his, these people who had drawn close to him and had followed him. And he said to them, the night before he died, he said to them, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember my body that's been broken for you. And he broke this bread. And he said, and I want you to remember my blood that's been shed. And he gave them a cup. And he did that because he so desperately needed them to remember that the next day, man, was their security going to be shaken as they watched this man that they loved die in front of their face? Yeah. But he wanted them to remember that that's not the end of the story. And he wants us to know and be invited to remember that today as well. And so if you are somebody who's a follower of Jesus, you don't have to be a member at this church. You can take communion with us today. You just take the bread and dip it into the cup. It's gluten-free. Everyone can have it. But my invitation to you, and I think God's invitation to all of us, is to come up to that table, and maybe it's just a hope and a prayer, but you say to God, I need to be secure in you. I need to know that the brokenness I'm experiencing in my life is not the end of the story. Help me to trust you. Help me to have that security. And I believe that if you ask him, he will show you. So let's move into this time of communion as we sing.